Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Elaine Marshall, the seven-term Secretary of State of the State of North Carolina, is our guest. As, I, we, as we were beginning the program, it's hard to believe that, uh, uh, Elaine, you've been in that job now for 25 years. And during that time, we've had the opportunity to visit with you at least once a year. So uh, this is a renewal of a long-time tradition here on Carolina Newsmakers to have you as our guest. And we're delighted to have you back. I certainly appreciate this opportunity to talk to folks and talk about the Secretary of State's office. Now, for those folks well, that are not long-term North Carolinians, you know that I am nowhere close to Mr. Thad Yor's record in office. Well, that's true. How long How long was he in office? 56 years, same office. I think he's still 50. the longest serving person in America in any one office. That That's incredible. And he referred to himself as the, what, the oldest rat in the barn or something of that nature. Oldest rat in the Democratic barn. And a really funny story is that uh, I've been in office about six months and there was a lovely, a lady with lovely handwriting. So I'm assuming I can date her because of having penmanship. And she asked me to personally see what I could do to quit making people talk bad about Mr. York because they was calling, they were calling him the oldest rat in the barn. And I had to write back and say, I am terribly sorry. I heard that come out of his mouth himself, that he proudly bore that mantle. So <laughs> it was pretty funny. But she was upset. Well, thought I should set the record straight. For those, uh, you mentioned those who are new to the state of North Carolina, and also uh, as a reminder for those who have been living here for some time, let's, uh, if you would, spend a little bit of time talking about exactly what the duties are, because uh, this particular office varies so much from state to state. What are the duties of the Secretary of State of the state of North Carolina? What are you principally charged with uh, being responsible for? Well, our job is for, to facilitate capital formation. We're really the heartbeat of business. We're the lead state agency in providing crucial business data that is free to the marketplace for them to assess and evaluate risk. Uh, every day we assess millions of buy, sell, lend, contract, borrow, and invest transactions. Uh, we also have a, a protective function also, a consumer protection. We regulate the securities industry through education and enforcement. We have the charitable solicitation licensing. That's also an education component and enforcement. Then we have trademark registration for state level, but enforcement of any trademark out there. And then we have notary registration, which again, we have education and enforcement responsibilities. Uh, so uh, let's, let's focus a little bit uh, on the uh, uh, job of of keeping up with North Carolina's uh, corporations and businesses, because when a business forms a corporation or a LLC, uh, they have to register with your office. Tell us a little bit about the difference of the kinds of corpor uh, corporations and LLCs that we have in the state of North Carolina. Well, we have a large variety. Um, when I say business entities, I'm talking about corporations like C-Corps. I'm talking about LLCs. PLLCs, nonprofit organizations, and some of these other lesser well-known but alphabet soup initial kind of business um, structures. Uh, but most of those are corporations and LLCs. LLCs are by far and away uh, very, very popular. They're easier to form. 
the advantage legally is that you don't have to file a separate corporate tax return and pay a corporate uh, tax fee if, uh, inter if uh, you know tax if that's appropriate. Uh, it just flows through to the individuals. Uh, and what we're seeing is that people are dividing their potential liability. Uh, when I drive by a new construction for what's going to be a convenience store or a fast food place, that generally represents at least two, maybe more LLCs. I say that because the land is fre frequently held in one LLC and the actual business is in another LLC. And then sometimes they have janitorial contacts or service contracts within their organization that's a third. I went to a convenience store owner's um, convention and one gentleman proudly told me he had 56 LLCs. And that was a couple of years ago. So I think he probably has more today. Well, yeah, LLC stands for Limited Liability Company. company. Right. Yeah. And uh, so in the eyes of a law, an LLC is, is like a person or a corporation is like a person. That's exactly right. They have rights and responsibilities just like a person. Well, uh, you know, uh, of course, um, the LLC came into existence for about uh, 20 years ago in North Carolina because uh, it, it made it easier than some of the longstanding features of a regular uh, corporation, either C or sub S, uh, and got rid of some of the stuff that had become sort of, I guess, archaic in a way and not necessary. And uh, so it's a modern form of governance. That's correct. We started them either 93, 94. I was in the General Assembly. It really grew out of the Arthur Anderson Enron uh, matter where uh, Enron, uh, Arthur Anderson had responsibility and it became a burden of every partner of Arthur Anderson around the country when they didn't know what was going on in Houston, Texas. And so that was the real momentum behind uh, LLCs getting started. And it's become very, very popular. So how many do we have in North Carolina totally? Um, on our database, we have about uh, 750, 800,000 active business entities. Now that includes what I said, all of that list of, of types. But let me tell you what's going on right now. I kind of thought with the pandemic that, and everybody was worried about things in the economy and rightfully so, and some parts of the economy didn't fare very well. But I thought, you know, business activity would be down. I was as wrong as I could have been. Starting last year in June, we started averaging 500 more a month than we normally did. And then the next month, 1,000 more. And then we jumped from about averaging 10, 11,000 new corporations or entities a month up to 15 and 17,000. And here we are, we are coming up on the third quarter of this calendar year. And sometime in late July or early August, we will equalize the number of new corporations that we new entities that we had done the year before. Uh, the world has been on fire. Now, what's interesting is um, we we wanted to know a lot more about these new entities. We're trying to do a better job to nurture them along, and so we've started a survey in June of when the uptake st uptake started in June of 20. Uh, we did started a survey June of 2021, and now we're doing the July batch trying to find out, are you still in business? What county are you are you operating in, which may be different than what you're locating in? Did you start this because you lost a job, you saw an opportunity, on and on and on? We found out that 80% of them are still in business. Uh, we found out that uh, 
approximately the same number had at least revenues of $25,000. We found a small percentage of them of the new businesses had revenues in excess of a million dollars. And so we're going to try to monitor these things to figure out uh, where, uh, where they are in their life cycle. We also have put these on a map of North Carolina. And I won't bore you with having you guess which county had the greatest improvement in the number of corporations and LLCs, but I will tell you it was Scotland County, North Carolina. Now, when you're a small county and you don't have a whole lot, so a small number, you know, exponentially gets you a high percentage, but they were 211,000 over what uh, they had the prior year. And most of our small counties have had in excess of 100% or in the high 90s. Um, places like Mecklenburg and Wake didn't have quite the, those percentages because a lot of our companies are located in the more metropolitan communities. But I was thrilled to see business activity, uh, entrepreneurs out there widespread across North Carolina. And I'm just prayerful and we're gonna work real hard to make sure that those stay alive and continue to be productive. Um, better than 50% of them had three employees, which was very good news. Well, it's interesting I mean, was, because if you, if you go back 14 or 15 months from uh, now back to say March or April of 2020, we all were very worried that business was going to fall apart and that the state revenues were going to be down. And, and, uh, uh, and as you said, you were anticipating uh, a lot of uh, or slowdown in the formation of new businesses. It just didn't happen. I mean, just did it, not happen. It's, the so, opposite happened. Yeah. I'm, I'm so proud of North Carolina entrepreneurs. I, I just, I'm glowing. Well, we, we have certainly survived well and are in position to move ahead. And of course, North Carolina continues to grow. And as the census, when we finally get the census data, whenever that is, the final count, uh, it looks like we're going to be getting closer to 11 million people in North Carolina. Right. Uh, and that's that puts us in the big leagues. Well, stay tuned with us on this survey because we only had really one month's worth. And now we're in our second month. You know, we'll get a better picture when we're four, five, six months out on the anniversary date of these corporations and LLCs. What percentage of those new businesses, I think you alluded to this, uh, were formed because people lost jobs and uh, actually began to become self-employed? Well, it was uh, in the teens and it was 70% that said because they saw an opportunity. Now, I guess maybe we need to refine the question a little bit because that might be an overlap. They lost a job, but they saw an opportunity at the same time. And that's a little bit more positive than putting down because you lost a job. Well, you know, as we've all said about surveys, the most important thing is the question, because in many cases you can ask a question and get whatever answer you want uh, and mislead the person into giving the wrong answer. And that's uh, uh, one of the problems of any kind of survey work or research work. It, of course, the other joke is uh, we always say that figures lie and liars figure. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Well, uh, so what? Uh, we've got a couple more minutes in this segment. Uh, what are the biggest changes that affected your office because of COVID-19? What changes did you make in your mode of operation? Well, a large part of the agency went home to work. Um, we basically had maybe 30 out of 175 people in every day because cash management, opening envelopes and making deposits is pretty hard to do remotely. We also um, had some functions that require face-to-face 
live original documents. That's stuff that's going into international. Um, so that that required people to be in. But better than 70% of my people went home. Now, we did not have enough equipment to send them home. We were not prepared. If somebody had said, be a good idea if I had 75 laptops on the shelf somewhere uh, at the beginning of the year, I'd have told them they were nuts. That wasn't a very good way to invest our money. But we had to cobble together and we were able to get more. And some of our employees, uh, managers went out and bought headsets for people um, because we just didn't have that. We were able to reimburse them. We've been able with COVID money to get uh, more equipment. Now, I have some folks who do not have reliable internet at their homes. I have some folks that, uh, uh, you know, they don't have internet in their neighborhood at all. Uh, so, um, you know, it was a struggle and we, we've worked with people in and out, in and out. Um, and, uh, I've been very pleased with the productivity of the folks. Um, they, they have stuck to it. They've worked overtime. They've worked, uh, weekends to, to do what needs to be done because we had an awful lot of reinstating to do. And then the annual report time came right on top of it. So I'm so proud of them. Elaine Marshall is our guest. She's the North Carolina Secretary of State. We'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, Elaine Marshall, the Secretary of State of North Carolina, a job that she has now held and been elected to for seven terms, and that spans 25 years. Um, the Secretary earned her law degree from Campbell University in 1981 and uh, has been a frequent guest on our program. One of the things we always uh, find so interesting when we have you on is uh, investment scams because that's one of the things that you uh, are charged with uh, looking into and being responsible for for the state and its citizens. What are some of the investment scams that are going on now that you've uncovered? Well, it's always a Ponzi scheme. Now it's uh, like a package. It's wrapped up with whatever is in the news. Um, people will entice other people to put money into something that they think is the newest, the hottest, the latest, or something that's in uh, short supply. 
there have been some scams around computer chips because we know that's been a supply chain problem. There have been scams around rare earth metals and uh, uh, lithium battery stuff because uh, people are thinking about alternative energy. Just alternative energy as a whole has had um, scams around it. Uh, so whatever's the, the headline in the, in the paper, uh, there's going to be somebody devising a scam about it. We want people to have the right tools so that they know what to do. Um, you need to understand how this opportunity that's coming to you is going to make money. And if it takes your money to just finish a project that's millions of dollars, you know, folks, that it doesn't work that way. If, if somebody tells you it's a secret and they're, you know, you're not supposed to tell anybody else, investment firms spend lots of time and money on research. There are no secrets out there. And the worst of it all is if they tell you it's guaranteed. Uh, there are very few things that are guaranteed out there and not in the financial market. We want people to give us a call at our 800 number. That is 800-688-4507. Call us up and find out if this product is registered. And if the answer is no, then keep your money. And is this person registered? And if that answer is no, then it's illegal for them to be approaching you and trying to sell to you. Uh, we have had cases where folks have been um, scammed by people that we denied a license to because they were bad actors in another state. One call to us would have taken care of that. Um, you know, there are re reasons why we disqualify people from being a salesperson here in North Carolina. And it doesn't have to be criminal activity. Um, lots of times investment houses will let someone go. They, they will not pursue charges against them. They will settle with the person who's been a victim. But they, the, the house doesn't need the bad publicity of having a rogue operator inside their operation. So that's it's, it's a form of hush money in my mind that they go ahead and settle and then get rid of this person. So we know that kind of information on involuntary separation. So a call to us can save you a lot of anguish, a lot of anguish later on. Well, there's an old saying that if it uh, seems to be too good to be true, it usually is not true. That is correct. What your mother and grandmother told you is absolutely correct and is good advice to operate by. And if this person makes you feel bad about not participating with them, if you get that bad feeling in the bottom of your stomach, leave it alone. Because part of their shtick is to make friends with you, get somehow emotionally connected to you, get you to place trust in them and then they show disappointment or if they don't explain anything to you and they start saying to you, well, it's just a little bit too complicated for you to understand. Well, baloney, you need to understand what every investment is, where you're placing your dollars and how it's going to work for you. Uh, if you don't understand that, just go away. Do all the, all the checking out there. Check with somebody else in the community that you know has that's not a professional in this area, but is a wise person if they think that this is a up and up deal. Um, we just hope that people will call us and check. And, um, you know, they all boil down to a Ponzi scheme. They need your money to pay off somebody else. And so um, there are plenty of mini Madoffs out there in North Carolina, I'm sorry to say. Well, one of the things that uh, I always enjoy telling people is that uh, case I heard of in Gastonia, North Carolina, when the judge asked the, uh, the uh, person being prosecuted, how in the world could you uh, con these people who trusted you? 
And uh, the answer was, Your Honor, it's impossible to con someone who doesn't trust you. That's exactly right. Don't and be impressed. So what, don't be impressed by a bunch of initials behind somebody's name. We had a guy down in Jacksonville that was passing out a card, and behind his name he had CHSG. CHSG. That stood for Certified High School Graduate. <laughs> well, uh, I've, uh, that's a that's a new one. I'm going to watch for that one. Okay. <laughs> and and they're you know these are the people giving the credentials that they put behind their names, they're just organizations where these people join and they pay money and they take some courses, but it's not a government approved uh, rating thing of any sort. So just just be careful they, they try to wow you with impressive credentials um, and, you know, looking good in the newspaper by participating in church activities and uh, in small towns for the baseball team, the youth league and all that kind of stuff. That's how they get into a community and uh, develop trust to be able to to reach people to have them place their money with them. So call us. Just so let's uh, give that telephone number one more time because uh, and any other instructions you might have for someone who uh, is is has been called or is considering an investment and so, what so they should a, do exactly. There's a couple things. The telephone number is one eight hundred six eight eight. 4507. Our website is sosnc.gov. sosnc.gov. Punch up investments or securities and go to that section and you will find a couple good tools there. Number one, you will have an investor checklist so that if somebody calls you over the telephone or you're going to their office and talking, these are the questions you ought to ask and put down the answers. And if they don't have answers, obviously, you need to, again, take your money and go. But that'll that'll give you, uh, it, it, it would be evidence in court of what you understand the transaction to be at that time. Uh, so it would be helpful. And, and it gives you something to think about. There's also a complaint form there. We encourage people to make point, complaints with us. We do lots of cases a year. Uh, a lot of our cases go to federal court simply because uh, a scam artist who's um, out there is not limited to just preying upon people in North Carolina. Uh, a lot of our cases go across state boundaries, so we need the assistance from the feds. Also, when somebody gets charged with a crime in federal court, they generally pay a whole lot better attention to what's going on than they do in state court. So please use us uh, as a resource. There's been some changes in the uh, robocall laws, and is that beginning to, to uh, cut down on some of this? I would hope so. Um, the the robocall blocking is is a function of the attorney general, but I, I think I, I hear from a lot of people that they're just getting fewer of them. They're not down to zero, but they're getting fewer of them. And my best advice on that is if you don't know that number, let it go. If it's somebody that really needs you, they'll leave a voicemail. If that voicemail sounds suspicious, or in some cases, I've had voicemails that kind of start in the middle of a sentence. You know, you know, you know that that's a program kind of thing, and they've messed up. Well, and of course, uh, you have a number, and we want to talk a little bit more in the, the next segment about uh, the responsibilities you have and your oversight of nonprofits and charitable solicitation. 
there are many, many very worthwhile causes out there, many, many well-run organizations. But then again, this is another area where we have some people that uh, are not good actors and uh, uh, prey upon people, especially seniors, for some particular reason. Well, seniors are the target. Um, the reason seniors are the target is generally they have money. <laughs> Um, they have a stream of income, Social Security, some retirement assets, maybe. Maybe they've downsized, um, um, which is very popular right now. The real estate market's so good. Uh, people are taking that money and they do want to invest it, but you've got to be extremely careful. People, um, this, the promissory note scam is still going around. Uh, promising. How does that? Uh, generally, they promise for nine months or less, a high interest rate, higher than interest rates that are being offered by banks or other institutions. The reason for the nine month mark is because there's a difference in sentencing in federal court for time periods, that kind of thing. So if somebody tells you it's guaranteed and it's gonna pay 5% interest, um, we have a lot of seniors out there that remember eight, nine, 10, 11% interest in the what, 60s, 70s. Um, and they would wish that their money would be earning like that. But in this day and time, folks, that is, it's just about impossible. I mean, you can invest in the stock market and get that, but then you, you, you're you playing a different set of game, a different financial transaction. Well, it's interesting how, uh, how smart some of these people are. And you wonder from time to time if they would use their good, uh, their good wits and their knowledge and their ability to run a legitimate business if they, end up making a lot more money because some of these things are very ingenious the way they build them and and the way they market them and the way they perform that is absolutely correct if they just put their mind on something positive and productive uh, rather than just um, stretching the truth and lying to get into somebody's pocketbook and well it, you've mentioned four or five investment scams any others come to mind right now that uh, seem to still be bouncing around well, there's always gold stuff um, that's bouncing around, petroleum stuff. Uh, again, that gets us back to energy. Um, that's about what I'm thinking about right now. Um, but it, it, whatever, whatever's in the headline, they can build a scam around it. They just yeah. need you to do something. <laughs> these very large ships that are now these super tankers, you know, need, just need your hundred thousand dollars to finish this this super tanker. I need five people like you to put a hundred thousand dollars into to build this. And you know, shipping rates are very high. You're gonna make a lot of money. It just you know, on and on and on. Well, of course, greed is the uh, the uh, I guess the underlying cause for more people to get into trouble because they are dealing with people who are greedy and they're figuring out how to scam people. And it's, uh, again, that, that old saying, if it seems to be too good to be true, it probably isn't. Or One of the other things that we see is that sometimes vulnerable seniors will not tell their family uh, because they're fearful of losing their independence. And I understand that that really is a, a problem and a concern for seniors. But um, it's far better to have the, the money in the bank and, you know, under the control of family uh, as opposed to just frittering it away. And unfortunately, these thieves keep coming back. We've seen this. I don't have jurisdiction over the sweetheart scam, but women that will pay time and time again, $500, $1,000 every month, what have you, for somebody that just talks to them on the phone and 
talks nice, like they're very, very interested in them. I would say to families out there, the best thing that you can do is call mom and dad uh, twice a day, once a day. Don't let them get lonely. And the pandemic, unfortunately, has caused a lot of isolation among folks. And that has made uh, folks uh, uh, an easier target just simply because they're lonely. So the, what we can do to keep uh, folks from being so isolated and so lonely will be a, a benefit to everybody, mental health, financial health, on and on and on. So, I guess as Elaine Marshall, and we're going to have another segment with her. In the next segment, we are going to talk about the area that uh, she is concerned with concerning nonprofits and charitable solicitations and organizations. And we'll do that. I'm going to repeat that telephone number one more time, too. 1-800-688-4507. That's uh, the office where you would call. That's the number you would call if you suspect that you're being scammed in some investment scheme. We'll be back right after these messages. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking you questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Elaine Marshall that uh, we have alluded to already is now in her 25th year of service to the state of North Carolina as the Secretary of State. Uh, Elaine, what, what caused you to get interested in public service? What, when did you decide that this was a career that you wanted to pursue? Uh, what turned you on to public service? Well, uh, because of 4-H in my background, I was interested in service. Um, I had an opportunity to live in Brazil, and I saw that uh, there are plenty of smart people around the world that just don't have the opportunities that we have here in America. So as I got older and through college and into my working career, I wanted to do something that helped people have better opportunities, or at least see that those opportunities were there to be able to take advantage of them because we are so rich with opportunities in America. That's somewhat caused me to go to law school. It was also frustration with some laws. And then um, I was solving problems person by person or family by family as a lawyer. And I thought, I got to amp up my game. I got to have a force multiplier. <laughs> I can't do it onesies at a time. So I thought going to the General Assembly would be a way that I could um, 
be a force multiplier and change some laws to make it better for people, um, level the playing field, so to speak. And then um, back in 1996, uh, the incumbent Secretary of State decided not to run again. And my party had a concerted effort to nominate a woman since we had never nominated a woman for statewide office. And I was successful first primary and second primary, and then had the race of a lifetime with Richard Petty uh, to become Secretary of State. Now, what we do at the Secretary of State's office was up my lane. Uh, I did business law, I did bankruptcy law, I formed corporations, I did notary law, I did those kinds of things that the Secretary of State's office does. Now, we do a whole lot more than that, uh, but it was right up my lane. So it was perfect for me. And I enjoyed my time in the North Carolina Senate. The News and Observer called me the rookie of the year. That was very kind to them. Um, but I tried to use my time at the General Assembly wisely uh, and learn things. One of the tips I always give folks is, I did not sign up for any uh, any women and children's committees because I knew those issues were going to find me no matter where I was in the legislative building. So I signed up for committees that I knew very little about. I knew very little about municipal government. Uh, I'd never been a municipal lawyer. I'd appeared in front of town councils a couple of times, but I didn't know much municipal law. Uh, I was on the GPAC committee, which gave me a chance to look at a lot of agencies. I didn't know very much about transportation. I just knew it was a big part of the budget. So I got on transportation oversight. So I wanted to use my time wisely. Um, I, I did serve on education. I'm a former teacher, but education is such a huge part of our budget and so essential for the future of our people that I felt like I needed to be on an education committee. So 4-H was what focused me on public service and gave me the skills and confidence to do what I'm doing. And, now today, I'm a continual 4-H volunteer, um, but also interested in doing my job well, making it easier for people to do what they want to do in the business sense. Um, so we are constantly updating our technology here. Uh, we are trying to create more what I call foolproof or error-proof filings, you know, so that you can't put in a wrong thing. You'd be surprised how many corporations come in from law offices or people doing it themselves. And it says organized under the laws of Delaware. Well, we got to reject it and send it back. So, you know, if they will use the, not a PDF, because that's a typo problem, but if they will use the forms that we have online, we make it so that you got to fill in the essential answers uh, to, to, to be able to process. So uh, we're real pleased with that enhancement to our website. We really are. Thank you for that background. It's interesting. And, uh, uh, but it sort of leads me into the next uh, area that we alluded to a few moments ago, your oversight of nonprofit organizations and charitable organizations. Uh, again, we have to take our hats off to so many of these really worthwhile nonprofit organizations and uh, people who are doing great work in many areas. But then again, uh, these there's a lot of organizations that uh, I guess might say cross the line into uh, becoming more or less profitable organizations. How, how do you go about uh, and what are the rules and regulations for forming a nonprofit and, and uh, how do you supervise these organizations? Okay, we really only supervise, uh, although that's not exactly the word, uh, we only 
we nonprofits are formed. All of them are formed here that want to be in North Carolina. And once they meet that minimum statutory requirement, we send them back their papers and bingo, then they go on. They choose if they want to get um, federal um, tax exemption, uh, like a 501c3. Uh, as long as their paperwork is right with us, they can go on with that. Um, some of them um, hire professional fundraisers. And that's where we really come into action. We have regulatory authority. We have none over general. Once they get started, we don't have any over general nonprofits. But once they hire a professional fundraiser, once they pay a staff member, then they're obligated to have a license with us. And a lot that don't have to have a license will get an exemption letter from us because they want something to show to their potential donors that they are exempt from the law. The law has a lot of Swiss cheese hole in it. Um, if it's a youth organization or a church organization, they don't have to um, register with us. But those that do hire these professional fundraisers or pay staff, like I talked about, they have to have a license that's good for a year. Uh, we are very pleased with the movement across the years with the licensing. We had a lot of charities that were engaging with uh, professional fundraisers who were getting 80% or more of the money. And so we, we put the contracts up now online. And so charities can see what a good contract looks like, what the terms are, what the amounts that the professional fundraiser is getting and what amount comes to uh, what their target percentages are. The public can look at our annual reports that are up there every year. And you will see that there are still some operating in this state that only give five to 10% to the charity and the rest goes to administrative overhead. Um, I believe that people want a better value for their donation. It's actually trust that you're putting in the organization. When you give them your money, you are trusting that they will use it for the stated purpose, that they will use it to feed those without food, uh, shelter for the homeless, protection for animals that are being abused and on and on and on, rather than going to a lot of administrative or high living. Um, so all of that's out there. Transparency brings a lot of sunshine to activities. And then those that cross the line legally, we do have enforcement powers. Now, one of the things that we see most is that there are sound alikes. People will try to capitalize on another charity's good name. Uh, they will use their colors. They will use something close to their um, uh, logo, uh, you know, uh, their sound alikes. Sometimes people just go out there and solicit for a legitimate organization and they aren't associated with it at all. You know, that's happened. Uh, you know, so there are all types of ways that folks can violate the law. And if you think that um, someone has been doing that, please, again, sosnc.gov is our um, website. Uh, go to charitable solicitation. There's a complaint form there. Uh, try to get as much information as you can to send to us uh, as to identity, who it is, or if it's something that comes over the telephone, the telephone number. And that isn't always correct because they got ways of transferring calls around. But we got to have something to go on. And there's also a, a list of things that you can have to ask the, the solicitors um, what they, you know, 
Ask them to tell you what percent goes. Ask them to tell you, are they registered with the North Carolina Secretary of State's office? And I would not give to a solicitor that's cold calling me at all. I would, if I liked what they were saying, I would hang up the phone. I would sometime later go to their website on my own rather than them connecting me to a telephone number or them connecting me to something. Initiate it and do the research on your own. We see a lot of that kind of problem when there's an earthquake, there's a hurricane, there's a big landslide somewhere around the world uh, or here in America, there will be websites that go up um, for you to contribute to the poor people of Haiti or the people of Nepal or the people of wherever this disaster is. For those kinds of situations that do deserve support, Rather than going to that website, I would prefer that you, if I had my best advice to give you, to trade with, deal with somebody locally. We have got the Rotary Club International. We have got the Methodist men. We've got the Baptist men. We've got the Red Cross, local entities that deal with these national things. Um, I think we're, we're much, much secure and better thinking that our dollars will go to where they're supposed to be when we're dealing with the local unit of some of these national things. You know, it takes a lot of mobility to provide help. Organizations can start up with a good intention of providing help, but do they have the ability? Do they have the connections? Uh, so that's why doing your research and, and finding uh, organizations that have a track record, a positive track record in this type of relief work is very, very important. And again, you know, you can give locally and it'll still have an international effect if that's your choice or a national effect. Um, so these dollars for the needy are very, very hard to come by and there never are enough. So it, it, you can tell it almost gets personal with me to think that money that could be used to feed the hungry and shelter the homeless gets squandered away by people who think they're doing the right thing and yet they're not. It just doesn't, the money just doesn't get there. One of the popular things that's happening these days, and it's because basically of the uh, growth of the internet and social media, are the GoFundMe organiz uh, efforts. Uh, do you get involved in that? Uh, well, we, we have a, a similar crowdfunding for securities, but um, we have not had any complaints that I'm aware of of any GoFunding uh, that are, are fraud. Now, that we've investigated. I think the uh, sheriff's department or some DA's offices have. And of course there was one very famous one in I think New York that involved somebody from North Carolina uh, who really was not as down and out and you know, everything as they said. Um, so those, those again, those are, you gotta be very careful about those. Well, uh, uh, basically, people want to help. I mean, that's I the, 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 yeah, most people want to be helpful and want to do their part and want to share their, their good fortunes. And, and uh, uh, it, it does open the door to those who are worthy, uh, as well as those who might not be quite as worthy. And again, as you said, I guess the best answer is just do some research. Just do some research. Right. These are emotional gifts. I understand that, but please um, temper your emotion with a, a little bit of patience and a little bit of um, time. Uh, the hustle, uh, the urgency that 
some folks try to create on these things is all a part of uh, pulling down your your good your good judgment and uh, putting pressure on you, putting stress, actually creating artificial stress on you. Yeah. Well, again, uh, you don't want to throw the the uh, baby out with the bath bathwater, but uh, it's uh, uh, you, you do need to do some research and all of your giving and be very careful. Our guest is Elaine Marshall. She's the Secretary of State of the State of North Carolina. And we'll be back with one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Elaine Marshall. She's the uh, North Carolina Secretary of State. Has been in the office, as we said, for 25 years now. Seven terms she's been elected. She was the first uh, female elected to a statewide office in the state of North Carolina. And that uh, that is something that... Uh, I'm sure you're very proud of Elaine and, 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 and well should be because that uh, opened the door to a, a great number of uh, candidates who have now sought uh, office and, uh, and are serving in many cases. We, uh, uh, Executive office. We want, uh, because we want we to turn judges. out. I'm sorry. Go, had, go right here. We had statewide judges. I'm the first to executive office. I see. Okay. Um, thank you for that correction. Um, I wanted to turn to the General Assembly. The General Assembly is in session now. Do, is there any legislation that you are seeking to have done that will affect and uh, improve the services that you offer the, the citizens of North Carolina? Um, there are several pieces of legislation that we're very, very interested in. If I can take you back a little bit to when the state kind of closed down the third week of March, uh, my telephone started ringing from real estate professionals, uh, law people that did a lot of real estate. And uh, since we are the notary commission people and training people, they said, now, how are we going to do notary? That requires in North Carolina face-to-face -face, uh, transactions. So we immediately did some best practices things to communicate to the notary public out there about how to, to do things. And these were simple common sense things, but people needed to hear from the state entity that deals with this. And 
there were some things on there that they probably hadn't thought about, you know, how to how to do things. Um, and we were seeking from the governor an executive order, but uh, to make uh, a remote uh, video transaction be the equivalency of a face-to-face -face personal appearance. And um, that was not possible to do by executive order um, because it didn't relate to the health and the things that could be done with executive order only. It had to, it was a change of statute. If the person-to-person -person appearance would have been one of my rules, it, it could have been an executive order, but because it was in the statute, it had to be a um, measure of the General Assembly. So I talked with both the speaker and the president pro tem, and they both agreed as lawyers that they knew we needed to do something. So we did all of the, the templates and the rules and regulations or, or procedures uh, for the video um, use for um, notarization, and it got enacted when they came into session. And that has worked fairly well. Now um, that the pandemic is winding down, there are some folks that want remote notarizations forever and forever. And uh, we are not opposed to that. What we are opposed to with the legislation that is running through the General Assembly is that it would apply to signers of documents anywhere in the world. And the version that some people want would have the notary here in North Carolina, but one signer could be in Tennessee and one signer could be in Japan or you know, pick a place in the world. Now, if something goes wrong with that document, where is jurisdiction? If jurisdiction is North Carolina, in my example, I gave a North Carolina notary. How do I do an investigation or anybody do an investigation as far flung as the places that I mentioned in my commentary there? So transboundary part of it is the part that's a big hang up. Uh, for us. And if that does get enacted, because there's some powerful forces that are interested in just a wide open uh, remote video notarization, um, <clears throat> there's going to have to be some serious upgrade to the resources here in order to do what's necessary. And, um, you know, it's going to take an appropriation to help out. So that's one of the pieces of legislation that we're following. Another piece of legislation is the Advanced Healthcare Directory. Again, it kind of relates back to the notary thing. Um, it, it, the signing of a, an Advanced Healthcare Directory had a procedure that required a notary or required two witnesses. So they softened up the witness requirement on that, and we were comfortable with that. Now there's some other things that are pending uh, on changes to the Advanced Healthcare Directory, which we maintain here. And they're, for the most part, positive things. I just wish they would make it for free, uh, that the General Assembly would take care of the cost of operating that as it is. There is a small fee for the Advanced Healthcare Directory, which is what it uh, is used to pay for the person who has to do all that work. <clears throat> uh, those are the two main things that we're following. There is also a nonprofit bill that is pending that would be a dramatic change uh, it, nonprofits now do not have to file an annual report. Um, way back in the beginning in 92 or 90, no, it was even before I came in. So it was late 80s, early 90s um, when annual reports were created, nonprofits were included. But there was a um, strong feeling among religious institutions in particular 
that having to report where they're located was too much of an intrusion into um, state uh, matters by a government entity. What, what we have with our database is a lot of very old, out-of-date data. We have addresses for nonprofits that's like Route 1, Cove City, North Carolina. We have used the uh, federal mail cross-match, and they don't have matches for a lot of these. If you're a member of a civic club like Lions Club or Rotary or uh, Civitans, if you go look up in the nonprofit uh, database, you will find that your organization has chapters in towns that haven't been in existence for 20 or 30 years. Because there's not, you know, they're supposed to dissolve and let us know if they're not in business. In the co corporate world, if someone's no longer in business, and they miss filing their annual reports after a period of time, we, by law, administratively dissolve them. There is no similar law in not, well, because there's no annual reports, uh, there's nothing. So we got a lot of dead wood, really dead wood on our nonprofit database. Um, so there is a movement to um, have nonprofits file reports. Um, and I, I am a bystander on that uh, because without a whole lot of resources, um, that's my main thing. I, I think it would be good to have annual reports from the point of maintaining a, a good database. Um, but I understand that uh, there are gonna be a lot of people that object to that. And so um, they need to put some oomph behind it at the General Assembly. And right now that's kind of floundering around down there. I don't know if it'll happen. If it does happen, then we will be tasked with an overwhelming job of trying to notify these folks and in a process of however many years, then dissolve them because we haven't heard from them. And we may be inadvertently dissolving people that um, shouldn't be dissolved. So we're just trying to be in that battle, an information provider of, of good information uh, the other part of it is there are some members at the General Assembly that want to require it to be filed electronically. As much in my heart as I might like that, that's going to preclude some people, some organizations from being able to file. Now, that number is getting smaller and smaller every year. But remember, we've got places in this state that, where folks don't have Internet connections, let alone good quality broadband connections. Um, so um, we're still willing to you know, take these things and we do get a lot by mail. Um, you know, are we ready to move to total electronic filing um, in any of our areas? I'm not advancing that. It's my wish that we would, but I'm, I'm not uh, the one that's going to be pushing that it has to be that way because I know that's going to leave a lot of people out and we've got enough inequality problems uh, of all sorts of varieties. And so this does not need to be one more. It needs to be easy for them to start businesses and comply with the state. And if that's by mail, then so be it. We're comfortable with that. As on my list of things to ask you about, the NC Coalition for Global Competitiveness. Yes, sir. I am the co-chair of that organization. Tell me about it. Okay. Okay. There's an organization known as Go Global. And um, this is a, a part of it. It is now a, a totally nonprofit. It grew out of the... Um, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, you will be proud to hear. Uh, the objective is for North Carolina to be the most globally competent uh, state 
in the union so that uh, our folks will be thinking about uh, the world as a market to sell their products, that, that our folks will be thinking that we are in a global world and we're all interconnected. And if the pandemic hasn't shown that, I do not know exactly what will. Uh, we want foreign direct investment to come here. We want foreign direct investment and the people that lead those organizations to know that we're culturally competent, that we're welcome. And so this is a collaboration between government, education, and business people uh, to uh, promote North Carolina's um, cult, international cultural status. Um, I've lived, I've been abroad enough to know that um, it's tough being a person that's different in another culture. Uh, and it is comforting to know when you're welcome and folks are willing to help you. Uh, we have a lot of school partnerships. I'm chair of the North Carolina-Moldova partnership, and we currently have 50, over 50 classrooms connected to Moldovan classrooms. We've got classrooms in not the metro, we got them in the metropolitan counties, but I'm so proud of Onslow County that it's unbelievable. Uh, the, the superintendent down there and principals of the schools have told me that this is one of the most enriching programs they've ever had. These kids, it, you know, when I was growing up, it was pen pals, yeah, that we would write to and, you know, back and forth from, I, my pen pal was in Gainesville, Florida. You know, it was cool to, to, to share about our animals, about our life, about our holidays, that kind of stuff. Well, that's going on now virtually uh, with Moldova and North Carolina. And our students are, those that are studying Russian in our schools are aligned with Russian speaking areas of, of Moldova so that they can practice conversational Russian. Uh, the Moldovan uh, Minister of Education and the Democratic leaning president is very, very interested in English becoming um, a more widespread language there. So it's a great way for the students to um, develop their English skills. We just sent a 40 foot container with uh, about half with medical supplies and about half with surplus uh, books from our North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. And the medical supplies, some of them are donations of new products, but our hospitals surplus a lot of stuff after three years or four years, whatever they consider the life cycle to be. And we very graciously take those, put them in a warehouse and um, send them over there to a very, very deserving group of people. The thing about the Moldova partnership is that we, we know who the reliable players are on the ground. And we have North Carolina National Guard connection over there and a guard member there at the embassy uh, doing military relations. And so um, it's a very good, very good partnership. Um, so th th I'm chairing this, there's more than Moldova. I've gone on here about Moldova but we're promoting all of those kinds of, of um, international relationships. There's an old hymn that says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. And I truly believe person-to-person -person democracy is the best way. That's a great, uh, a great project and I'm glad you're involved in it. And I very much appreciate you taking time to share with us and our listeners this week. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com. So again, our thanks to Elaine Marshall, the North Carolina Secretary of State, for being with us. So until next week, same time, same station, I hope that you and yours have a very, very good week. 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.